Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. All right, tonight we're going to, uh, I want to teach tonight something that God began speaking about to me in my spirit <clears throat> a few weeks ago. And I'm going to spend most of the time tonight teaching out of Psalm 139. So if you'd like to get that thumbed up in your Bible where you can make a few notes and uh, <clears throat> if you feel led to do that, uh, I'll, I'll be there. But uh, I'm going to start in the New Testament. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 and 25. I, I preach a lot out of Matthew 6, but um, this is a different subject, different title for me. The title of this teaching is High Anxiety. And um, in Matthew 6, 24, uh, it says this, No one can serve two masters. Amen. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one, the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the King James says God and mammon, which is money, it's currency, it's what we use to barter with, to trade with, to, uh, to buy what we need. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat uh, or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, when I say that, <clears throat> uh, I want you to focus on that. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. Therefore, do not worry. Because in some translations, it says it this way. Do not be anxious about your life. Now, uh, that's what God drilled me down into and just began to talk to me about this anxious or this anxiety. And so anxiety is simply a, a feeling of worry. It's nervousness. It's un an uneasiness. It's typically uh, we, are, we have anxiety about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And I, I really did, a, I've been studying this for several weeks and been going back and forth with it and doing some research on it. And um, the symptoms of anxiety, because we, we hear this, uh, these, uh, this term called anxiety disorders. People have those, right? And uh, there, there are a lot of different anxiety disorders, and I did a lot of research on it, not in depth like you would do for a thesis in college, but enough to, um, to get me some information about it that I can share with you. So, so symptoms of anxiety are excessive worry, sleep problems, irrational fears, muscle tensions, chronic indigestion, 
a feeling of being self-conscious all the time. Panic. Anybody ever had a panic attack? I'm holding my hand up. I have. And something Pastor Frankie talked about the other week, obsessive compulsive disorder, or we call it OCD. I call it just being monk or whatever. I don't know if you remember that show. But uh, Pastor Frank, I used to call him that all the time. He used to call him Monk. I said, hey, Monk, what's going on? When he would be doing something that he was obsessive, compulsive about, I'd say, hey, Monk, why are you doing that? He'd just cut his eyes at me. But uh, And then another uh, symptom, there are many, and I just wanted to highlight a few, uh, is self-doubt. Uh, you know, the feeling that... Uh, uh, it doesn't matter if it's if it looks good and everything's working right. You you just got this 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 dark feeling that something is going to go wrong. You're anxious about it. It's it's anxiety. And so uh, I was doing some research on that. And like I said, and um, uh, it says that uh, based on research from 18 years or older. An estimated 19% of adults had anxiety disorder in the past year. That's, that's 19%. Uh, the past year prevalence of anxiety disorder was higher for females, and that was 23.5%. Uh, and males, it was 14.3. An estimated 31. Now, when I say that, I want, I'm going to give you another statistic that's going to make you scratch your head a little bit. An estimated 31% of all U.S. adults experience anxiety disorder at some time in their lives. And so, let me just, you know, there's a lot of more different things I've got here, but I'm not going to go over all of them. But let me give you the numbers. Any anxiety disorder then, that would be 40 million people experience that. Drug companies make a lot off of that. Uh, and then they break it down for uh, the different types, you know. And so it's millions and millions of people. Uh, the estimated cost uh, for, for what people rely on, okay, and tobacco being one of the main ones, you know. Uh, I mean, ever smoked, you know. You raise your hand, I did, you know. And you say, man, I just need a cigarette. You know, you get stressed, I just need a cigarette. I just need to get me one. I could smoke a cigarette five miles long. I used to hear my mama say that. Because <laughs> mama, would, you know, she smoked two packs a day until, you know, she got, you know, the Lord got a hold to her and she quit just like that. I said two packs, I mean four packs is what she smoked. Mama smoked, boy. She'd say, son, you make, yo, I can't say what she said. <laughs> and a cup of coffee. And, uh, but the cost of it, uh, the, the cost of the health related cost for that uh, in 2010 was $300 billion. That's $300 hundred billion and the health related cost for alcohol which is another reason that we you know I just if I could just get me a drink you know if I I could just you know whiskey river take my mind you know that kind of thing the 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 in 2010 it's 249 billion dollars were the health care costs for that 
uh, and then illegal drugs. Uh, the health care costs in 2007, that was the latest I had, was $193 billion. That's, um, we're talking billions now. You know, we, we all, we're almost close to a trillion dollars there. And then uh, for prescription medication, this was in 2013, and this number has dramatically gone up. Uh, it was $78 billion was the health care cost. Not the cost of the drugs, the tobacco, the alcohol. It was the health care cost related to these uh, worldly solutions for these numbers, for this 40 million people who suffer anxiety. And, uh, you know, well, I asked you if you had a panic attack. I, I remember the first panic attack I had, and it was um, 25 years ago. I was going across... Uh, I was going to Mobile. I was going to Mobile Infirmary because my nephew was being born. And I was in a little car. I left work at Touch One and headed that way. And when I got on that bridge, it seemed like it was closing in on me. And I'm telling you that I went 20 miles an hour all the way across that bridge. It just, I, I, I couldn't understand why that was happening to me. But it was a panic attack. I didn't, I don't know why I had it. Just felt like the sides were closing in. And I had a problem with going across big bridges for a long time. For a long time. I can make it across there now pretty good. But Debbie would see me doing that. She'd say, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm all right. But because uh, <laughs> I would be, I'd, I'd start gripping that steering wheel. I'd start gripping that steering wheel. So I do know, you know. And, and I can't explain why I was having it, you know. Can't tell you why I was so, you know, and so a lot of these things that happen to people, uh, they can come from, that doesn't mean you're crazy, right? Even though somebody else might call you crazy, but it can just come from somewhere. Sometimes you don't even know why. Sometimes you know the reason why, and, and it may be a situation out of your control that you can't do anything about. It may be something that happened to you in your past that you can't go back and fix, God can help you. I just want to tell you that. He can really help you. The Holy Spirit is the one that had to help me with these panic attacks when I got on these high bridges because I would just get, wow. And so uh, a lot of times things can happen chemically or home, uh, with the hormones in a person's body. That's chemically, right? Not from a from substance abuse, but something just going on that's kind of out of whack. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll get these disorders and what we call now is disorders, but it's anxiety, right? And uh, I believe that Jesus is the answer to all of them. But now I wanted to give you a couple more statistics and then I want to move on. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Th thank you. Absolutely. Because they don't live long enough to have health care. They die. So, so at the end of the day, if you don't get control of this, it'll get control of you, right? We know that. If we don't allow God to get control of that, 
it can get control of us. <clears throat> and so I did some more research, and uh, I, I, this is, this is kind of dark, okay? Uh, so, you know, if you don't want your child to hear it, you might not want to. But it is, these are statistics. And it, uh, if it goes as far to, some, to a point where someone says, I can't take it anymore. And the only way out, I know, is to get out of this world. That's the end. That's, that's the ultimate anxiousness, right? And I don't want you to raise your hand, but I can ask if you know somebody, if you've known or know somebody personally that that's happened. And they've said, and, you know, I shared one Sunday morning that my mom, a lot of people didn't know my mom, when I was just a baby, she, 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 that was all she, you know, I, I think I shared it when you testified. That was all she could do. She didn't know anything else to do. She, when I was a baby, mama was 23 years old. She couldn't take it. But uh, so you understand, it's real. This is real. But I'm going to give you some statistics that may not be eye-opening to you. Some of them were to me. Uh, uh, suicide's the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. That's 44. That equates to 44,965 people in a single year. The cost of it, they estimate, to be $69 billion. But if you take every attempt, um, every suicide, successful suicide, I don't think successful, but actual suicide, for every one, there are 25 attempts. So that gives you a different spin on it. So that means... In a single year, is one million one hundred twenty-four thousand one hundred twenty-five people who try to say, "I've had it and I'm gone." <clears throat> now, remember, I was talking to you about the anxiety rate was higher for women than it was for men. But look at these suicide rates: uh, men die by suicide three and a half more times than women. You know why? Because a woman will be honest and say, I need help. And a man will say, I can make it. And he, he never asked for help. On average, there's 123 suicides a day. And this was Caucasian males accounted for seven of the ten suicides in 2016. Firearms, 51%. The rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged Caucasian men in particular. Those are some heavy numbers, you know. Well, let's get it to Alabama then. There's 788 a year in Alabama. Alabama's ranked 24th in the per capita suicide rate. It is the third leading cause of death for the ages of 15 to 24. I want you to think about that. Fourth leading for 24 to 45. 
six leading for 45 to 54, tenth leading for 65 to 64, and it's the sixteenth leading cause for 65 and older. Two times more people die in Alabama due to suicide than they do to homicide. So, you know, you see homicide, see, you see homicide on the news, but you don't see, you don't see the other side of it. Now, I know that's heavy for Wednesday night, but we're teaching. <clears throat> and I don't know why, the, you know, I don't know why particularly God wanted me. Because I, I, I had these numbers, and I said, man, I ain't talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about these numbers. I'm not going to quote all these statistics. Um, I'm just saying, you know, that's too heavy. But the Lord told me to do it, so I'm doing it. Now, I, I, I wanted to look at some of the figures in the Bible, some characters or we'd call in the Bible and see some. Saul was one of them that I looked at who was a person who was very anxious, had a lot of anxiety. And the reason he did is because Saul was a double-minded man. Uh, watch what James says. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. I believe that the greatest cause of anxiousness, it goes back to Matthew 6, 24 and 25 where he says you cannot serve two people two masters and too many people are not trying to serve two they're trying to serve multiple they're trying to serve their job they're trying to serve their children they're trying to serve their spouse or their, uh, their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever uh, they're, they're trying to serve society and what society, the demands society has made on them. They're trying to, deser, to serve the American dream in our country, which is really a nightmare. We, we built it up to be the great thing. Two cars, a boat, a house, and uh, four-wheelers and sea-doos and, and best clothes and best entertainment and best school for our children and we ended up to here. It's, and we're drowning in it. It's a nightmare. It's not, it's not God's plan for anybody. And they try to serve that. I believe that's why uh, middle-aged males uh, have the high rate because they just say at the end of the day, I can't do this. And everybody's telling them, you can have this, right? Everybody say, you can have this. You can have that. You go to a car dealer's, and you don't, they, they're going to take you to the most expensive one on the lot and say, we can get you in this. Right? They'll put your wife in there, in my case, and say, boy, you look good in there, don't you? She said, I love the color, honey, and I like the smell of a new car. And they'll talk you into that and say, you deserve it. You deserve it. And next thing you know, that old $700 payment come rolling around, right? Right? Honey, insurance going up. 
you take it for the first few months and park it out way away from all the cars in Walmart and somewhere on the, you know, get it out where it won't get a ding or a scratch on it. Two years later, it's dinged up, scratched up. All needs changing and you're still making them $700 a month payments and you got to make them for four or five more years. It gets started getting on you, see. Starts weighing you down. Starts getting next to you. Starts making you think, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this. See, you've already forgot that day where he said you deserve it. You've already, you long forgot that. First time the young and spilt Kool-Aid in the back of it. You forgot all about that. Right? But you're serving that master now. You're serving it. Right? Sometimes we give in to what the flesh wants to do. Gets us in big trouble sometimes. We'll talk to somebody we don't need to talk to. We'll hold hands with somebody we don't need to hold hands with. And we get in a situation that we can't. We, you know those saying the genie's out of the bottle, the horse is out of the barn, you can't get him back in. You, you can't do anything about it. That, that that you did begins to grab you. See, that's the way the devil works. He wraps around you, wraps around you, wraps around you, wraps around you. And all of a sudden he begins to choke. And he'll choke till he chokes the life out of you. Because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the greatest cause, I believe, of anxiety is trying to serve all of these masters. But Jesus said, I've come that you have life. John 8.36 says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. God wants to give you liberty. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to get you out. You mean he's going to pay off my car? My, he might tell you to trade it in and get you something else, but he's going to get you out of that. But it's who do you want to serve? It's who you want to serve. You want to serve God or you want to serve mammon? In li there's liberty in Christ Jesus there's bondage leading unto death the other way. And so that's what happened to Saul. Saul uh, was told to destroy the Amalekites. He was sent out to kill them. He, and he was the king of Israel. But instead of destroying them all, he brought King Agag back and he brought all the choice goats and lambs and jewels and all that should have been dedicated to God. And Samuel came and said, you didn't serve God. He says, yes, I did. He said, why do I hear the sheep blatant? And he, that day. But he stayed, he was king for like 40 years, guys. For a long time, he was king. This happened early into his kingship. But he began to be anxious. You know how I know? Because he couldn't, he couldn't rest. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't, he couldn't be still. Uh, there was always something that was irritating. So he said, is there anybody that can play and sing? Huh? Is there somebody out there? And they said, well, we know somebody. And David came. 
began to play, began to sing, and it would soothe him, and he began to sleep. But then David killed the giant. Then David began to kill the Philistines. Then, then, then people say Saul had his thousand, David had his tens of thousands. And remember, he, he, it was because of the people that he lost his kingship, even though he was still on the throne. And it's because of the people that he began to get anxious because when he heard what they were saying about David, he, 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 he began, he, these fits of rage would come over him and he slung a spear at him twice. And then he chased him all over the countryside trying to kill him. All because his heart was divided and he was unstable in all of his ways. Now he's one that I looked at but I really don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I really, really, really want to teach out of Psalm 139 because <clears throat> I said, well now Lord, I, I can share all this, these statistics. I can tell people all about these things but now what do I tell them? How do I tell them? Uh, I, know, I know the answer is to seek first the kingdom of God. I know that's the answer because he goes on saying, you can only serve one, but if you serve God, right? So we, everybody knows to get, get single-minded and serve God, right? But then something, you know, it seems like, you know, these statistics, they may not be the same for the church, but they, they're probably pretty far up there. You know what I'm saying? People are suffering with these anxieties. They're in the church. They're trying, this I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to, to seek God. I'm trying to put him first. And I do put him first in this area. And I do, you know, I've taught a lot about that. I taught him about putting him first in every area of our life, identifying every area and getting him first in every one. Well, sometimes that's just really hard. And God just began to, he began to speak to me the scriptures that I needed. First one is 1 Peter 5, verse number 7. Everybody knows this scripture. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We quote it, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But that, that word care means your anxieties cast them on him. What does that mean? That means to throw them at him. Get them out your hand, right? Just throw them away. Throw them. Those that, that you've done, those that, have, that you didn't do, those that just came, whatever, the, however they got there, throw them toward the Lord. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. I know the Lord loves me. I know every preacher tells me that he loves me. My mama told me he loved me. We sang it in Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children. I know, I hear it every year at Christmas. For God so loved the world at Easter. And I hear 
The love, love, love. I know he loves me. I've been told he loves me. But you don't, uh, if you're suffering like this, sometimes you don't really know that he loves you and the depths that he loves you. When you can know how he really loves you and the depths of his love, it'll help you cast your cares on him. It will help you put him first in every area of life. And God just led me to Psalm 139. So I'm going to go through this whole psalm. I'm going to break it down. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you can turn there, and I've got it turned here in my Bible. I just want to talk about Psalm 139. This is a psalm of David. that he has written to the choir master for the people and for the anointed choir to sing. And so he's talking about God here. So in verse, Psalm 139, verses one through six, this is what the Lord is saying. He is talking about how the Lord has examined him thoroughly. He says, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. So what he's saying here is that he knows when I get up. Glory to God. Now, you got to get an understanding of how much he loves you. Remember I said that. We're divided, I think, sometimes because we just don't understand how much he loves us. But he knows when you get up. And he knows when you lie down. He knows your highs and he knows your lows. And he knows everything in between. God knows all about you. He knows all your thoughts. All of them. All of them. Good or bad. He knows them. If my thinking is incorrect, God knows it. Whatever my intentions are, whatever my motives are, he knows them. God knows your thoughts, all of them, God knows. He knows the path I will take on any subject, on any subject, on any matter, he knows the path I will take and he knows where I'm going to settle on that matter. And on that subject, he knows where I'm going to lie down, where I'm going to rest on the matter. God knows. Before I utter a single word, he knows what I'm going to say. He knows the words that I might have even left out. He fills in the blanks of the things I didn't even say because he knows my thoughts. I don't even have to clarify to him a thought. Now, Debbie can tell you I like to clarify my points. If we are, we don't fight or argue, but we have heated discussions. And when it's my turn, I get like one of them long-winded politicians on the floor of Congress. 
I'm, I'm giving, I'm clarifying, I'm saying, but it's because it is, and blah, da, da, and da, da, da. And I don't only do that one time, but I do it many, many times. As Debbie would say, oh my God, over and over and over. I don't have to do that with God. I don't have to speak a lot. I don't have to clarify my thoughts. He fills in the blanks. He knows everything. But let me tell you something. Just because he knows what I'm going to say doesn't mean he does not want me to speak to him. He does. Glory to God. Don't think, well, he knows my thoughts, so I don't even have to say it. No, he wants you to speak to him. God has surrounded me and protected me by his presence. There are no gaps in his surrounding me. There are no breaches, no breaks where the enemy can come in. God has surrounded me with his presence. His hand is upon my shoulder to keep me steady. That's how much he loves you, Lisa. He puts his hand on you to keep you steady so you don't tip over or fall over or go into something that might harm you. That's how much God loves you. See, I know he loves me, but how much does he love me? This is how much he loves me. Knows my thoughts. Knows even where I'm going to settle on a matter. Knows and protects me knows what I'll say before I say it. I don't even have to fill in the blanks. God knows. God has protected me with a ring like a ring of fire. There's no break in it, no gap in it. And he steadies me with his strong, with his strong right arm. Keep me from harm. So God has examined me thoroughly and knows all of my thoughts and knows my tendencies and knows everything that I'm going to do. Then in verses 7 through 12, David is basically saying this. He will never leave me. Is there anywhere I can go that he is not already there? If I wanted to run from him, could I even run from him? The answer to that is no. If I'm in heaven, he is certainly there with me. And, and, but when I face death, whether by the grave or even if my body was lost at the very bottom of the sea, that is not the end. For there he is, to walk with me. That's what he's saying there, guys. He never leaves you. He's always there. Uh, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Watch this. When he says this, he says, in his hand, this is me paraphrasing this, right? He will take me and he will lead me. And when the darkness covers me because the light of life leaves my body, it's not darkness for me. For he is there, and where he is, 
there is no darkness. There's only light. And it's not just any light. It's not like this light. I can't look at this light. It blinds me. I can't look, I can't look at the sun. It'll harm my eyes. But this light is more brilliant than the sun, but it's warm. It's inviting. It's nothing like anything I've ever known. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've held the hand of people who love Jesus with all their heart and who close their eyes for the last time here on this earth. And it was one of the most glorious things that you can ever experience because that's what they're experiencing, see. He never leaves, see. When the darkness, when the eyelids go down, there's a momentary darkness, but then there's a great light that they see. And they're not by themselves, see. He's got them right by the hand. That's what he says there. You have me by the hand. It don't matter. It don't matter if I'm on a sinking ship. If I was on the Titanic and I love the Lord, my body went to the bottom of the ocean, but my, he, was, he was with me. He was with me to the last bubble came up out of me. He was right there in 10,000 feet of water if I lived that long. He was right there with me. Do you hear me? That's how much he loves you. His love is so great. He'd go with you anywhere. Anywhere you go, he's already there. That is how much he loves you. You know he loves you, but do you know how much he loves you? when you know how much he loves you, it begins to do something in you that a pill can't do, that a foot-long cigarette couldn't do, that a chew uh, between the cheeks and the gum couldn't do, that a needle in the arm couldn't do, or a pill, or smoking a joint. It's better. You, 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 you really don't want that when you begin to understand how much he loves you. You don't, you don't, you don't really want that anymore because I know he loves me. And even to the depths, Jesus loves me. Then in verse 13 through 18, he created me and he knows me on every level. He has me on his mind and he has plans for me. Watch this. His thoughts for me are countless. He's thinking of me when I'm not thinking of him. You hear that? He thinks of me constantly. Even when I'm asleep, when I wake up, he's right there and he's thinking of me. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm all tense, tight, mad, dejected, rejected, and all of the emotions I have, and I'm not, God is the furthest thing from my mind, he's thinking of me. He's thinking of me. His knowledge, my knowledge, that he is thinking of me, to me personally is greater than the greatest wealth of the world. It's greater than any riches any billionaire could have to know 
that he is constantly thinking of me brings me great comfort. That's what David said. He said, knowing that he knows me and thinks of me, this is very precious to me. And it's precious to you when you know it. See, to know that he knows you is more precious than that $700 a month car payment. <laughs> Amen, everybody say that. Right? But it's more precious than if you could go spend cash for it and didn't have the payment. To know. See, because once you know he's precious and how precious it is that he's thinking of you, how valuable that is, you begin to just seek him first. You, you begin to do that, see. You have to understand, right? You have to, see, see when you get saved, uh, there, you know, I was talking about it Sunday, you know, there's a, this revelation comes, some instantaneous, some, some uh, uh, is gradual, some by impartation, some by pres perspiration. But you don't get that all at one time, but you do get it. Once you get this, right, you get some, right? Oh, I got some when I got saved. I, I was changed, man, I got some. But I didn't get it all. But when I begin to understand what David's talking about here, it was easier and easier and easier for me to put him first, right? Oh, my God, people. When, when the Lord was telling me to move down here, me and, Debbie, me and Debbie has done this multiple times. God said, go somewhere, and we didn't know how we was going to make it. I, there's no way I could have done it if I didn't understand this. I couldn't have put him first. I said, no way. No way. I'd, I'd still be working for some telephone company somewhere, and I'd probably have a lot of stuff but I probably wouldn't have the peace that I have. I know I wouldn't have the peace that I have now. But I couldn't do that without him. God may not, I doubt very seriously God will ever ask anybody to follow the same path that me and Debbie's followed. But he's asking you to follow your path. And you can do it if you know. And he's thinking about you all the time. He got, he's thinking. You're trying to think it out. You're trying to cover it. Lord, have mercy. The, David said, in his hand, he'll take me and he'll lead me. And when the darkness covers me because the light, well, no, I, I already read that. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I, was, I was up in the, another verse. He's, uh, my body, my mind, my potential, are beyond human comprehension. You know, this is all stuff, notes that I made. I am made in the image and the likeness of God. You, if you get that, if you get that, you know that you have an unlimited potential. If you get that. In his image, you have been made. He has been me, been with me from the moment of conception. So that, listen, this verse right here, uh, solves the answer when does life begin it begins at that moment actually it begins before he, his knowledge of you though begins before that moment ever takes place 
He's already, he's already got knowledge of you before you were ever conceived. He knows all the days of my life before I was formed. And you know what I like about that? There's nothing that takes God by surprise. It might kick me back, set my heels back. It might run me around, but it didn't take God by surprise. There's no diagnosis that would take God by surprise. There's no letter to come in the mail that's going to take him by surprise. There's nothing that somebody does that hurts you to the heart that takes God by surprise. He's right there with you. And he's been preparing you for these moments that you come. And I believe tonight is a moment of preparation where you can understand the goodness of God so that you, it won't take you by surprise. And finally, he knows, we need to know that God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. He's got it. God has got it. I said God has got it. He's got this. Put a name on it, God's got it. Put a face on it, God's got it. Put a place on it, God's got it. Whatever the situation, person, circumstance, God has got it. God has got this. Now, verses 19 to 22, this is David talking about David. He has been talking about God. This is David talking about God in the first uh, 18 verses. From in these few verses, David is talking about David. And I, I just needed to go through this. Didn't want to leave them out. And these, this is David's approach to those who don't acknowledge God. This is him telling him of his zeal for God. David said, I hate your enemies. And you say, wow. But that was the proper thinking in the Old Testament time under the law of the prophets and the Moses and what God had commanded is that you should have zeal against the enemies of God. However, in the New Testament, that has been superseded by a new covenant that says we're to love God with all our heart and then we're to love everybody else like we love ourselves. So when David is saying it, he was in the proper context. That's why the Lord said, he's a man after my own heart because he was for God. He was zealous for God. If he had heard the command of Jesus, he would have been somebody loving God and loving everybody. They wouldn't kill nobody. Wouldn't have cut nobody's head off. Wouldn't have killed nobody. That was his heart was that way. Whatever God said, that's what I'm going to do. That's what God had said in the Old Testament covenant. So that's what he was doing. So this section is strictly about David. And all the other sections were about God. The next section is two verses. Verses 23 and 24. And again, this is David. But here we can, we're, you know, we couldn't be under this old covenant. Thank God. Aren't you glad you're not on this old covenant? You, you're having to go out and slay the enemy and kill it, drive them out. 
but we're under the new covenant. But this will help us even in the new covenant because here's David and he's saying this. He said, search me. Search me. And don't withhold anything that you find. Don't. If you see something, tell me. And you know what? <clears throat> God would do that. Because David said, you love me, so now tell me where I stand. So God would send his prophets and his priests to tell David. Nathan came to him after he uh, did what he did with killing Uriah, committing adultery and murder. And he come to him and pointed his finger right in his face because David had prayed this. Search me. If there's something in me, now don't hold back. The priest would come to him and said, this is what Moses said we should do. So he had the law and the prophets. And they would come to him when he said, search me, O Lord, and see if there's anything in me not pleasing you. Don't hold anything back. Let me know the truth. Hit me face to face with it. Then he would. He'd send the law and the prophets. But hallelujah, uh, we don't have to go by the law and the prophets anymore. We have the law and the prophets. That's what I'm, I mean, that's what the Old Testament is. And thank God for it. And many, many things in the law and the prophets that we, we should go by because they are straight commands from God. There's no variance to them. But in John, in John 14, by God, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit and he is going to convict you of all things. And let me know what that word convict means. You know what it means? It means convince in other words, he's going to show you and convince you that you won't doubt what he's saying. He's going to convince you of righteousness. He's going to convince you of the things that come. And he's going to convince you of his son Jesus, that who he is who he said he is, and Holy Spirit. And so when you read the New Testament and when you read the Old Testament, Holy Spirit opens it up to you. When you, when you hear it, when you read it, he convinces you. So we can say, just like David, search me, O Lord, and see if, I, if everything's all right. And O Lord, if you see something's not right, show me. And guess what? It's not Nathan that's coming. It's not one of the priests that's coming. It's Holy Spirit's gonna come and knock on your heart. He is that is led by the Spirit he shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, glory to God. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, keep me. Holy Spirit, help me. So this is who God is. This is who he is. He loves you. He cares about you. But you say, I know he loves him, but, but how much does he love him? Well, this is how much he loves me. He knows you. He knows you inside out, upside down, where you're going, where you've been. 
He knows how long it's going to take you to get there. He knows all your words. He knows all your thoughts. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He created you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And he will direct your path. He will keep you safe from all harm. He will put his angels in Psalm 90. Now, it said he will give his angels charge over you. Lest you even trip on a pebble. God is there for you. That is how much he loves you. He loves you enough that he would tell you time and time and time and time and time again. His mercies are new every morning. His love is enduring and never fails. That's how much he loves you. So when you know how much he loves you, it's easier then not to be anxious. Right? That's where we started out. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't have a high anxiety. Know this, that God loves you. It's not just a, something that you put on the bu a bumper sticker. Jesus loves you. It's not just a say. It's not just a song that we sung. It is a fact. It is an eternal, unchangeable fact that God loves you. Why do you think God, uh, why do you think he, he had Noah build an ark? Because he loves you. Why, did you th why do you think he, he, he caused Abraham and Sarah to have a child when they were way past age? Because he loves you. Why do you think that burning bush for Moses was because he loved you? Why do you think, why do you think he, he helped Gideon to defeat the Gideonites. Midianites. The Gideonites is what I said. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why do you think he, he, he took Zachariah's tongue where he couldn't talk? Because he was going to have a son named John. And when Mary walked into the room where Elizabeth was, the baby in Elizabeth's stomach leapt. Why do you think that? Because he loves you. Why do you think he was born in that pre-prepared manger? Because he loves you. Why do you think that he fed the 5,000? Because he loves you. Why do you think he raised Lazarus from the dead? Because he loves you. Why did he walk on water? Because he loves you. Why did he... Was he arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because he loves you. Why was he beaten? Because he loves you. Why was his beard plucked out? Why was he spat upon? Why did they put a crown of thorn on his heads? Why did they lead him half naked up to Calvary's hill and put him on an old wooden cross? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you know he loves you, when, when the temptation of mammon comes to serve another master, he says, I can't because he loves me. When something from your past comes in that you can't control, you say, I ain't worried about that anymore because he loves me. Doesn't matter what he did to me. Doesn't matter what she's doing to me right now. He loves me. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to worry. Doesn't matter what President Trump does. 
Doesn't matter what Congress does. Doesn't matter what they do in China, North Korea, or Africa, or Italy, or anywhere else. Doesn't matter what's going on. If they drop an A-bomb today, he loves me. If the World Trade Center comes down, Jesus is still loving me that day. He is loving me that day. He loved the people who were in the Twin Towers. He loved them all the way from the top to the bottom. He loved the people who went into that field in, in Pennsylvania. He loved them all the way down to the ground and all the way up into heaven, those who knew him. God loves you. Do you believe it tonight? Do you really? Do you really believe it? Stand up on your feet and we'll let you go.